May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This, this is the year. This is the time when it will happen. This year will be like no other year before. There will be a change. And finally, this is going to be the year when my wife and I send out Christmas cards. <laughs> if you believe that. <laughs> every year we try. Every year we're going to send out Christmas cards. And then we never, ever, ever do it. I have a box at home filled because we find them. We go shopping for Christmas cards every year. And then they're delighted to actually send them to anybody. So the, when I finally do decide to make this happen, you know, when it do, that day does come, uh, we'll, we'll be prepared and everybody will think we have the most wonderful collection of vintage Christmas cards. They will know we bought them new. Uh, but I do wonder, what, what would I put in the Christmas card? What would be the words that I would say? And I kind of think this might work. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Who more beautifully from the wrath to come? Wouldn't that just be great? You brood of vipers. I also like, in, in our New Testament lesson, uh, from, from Paul talking to the Romans, I love this one. This would be a wonderful Christmas card. Praise the Lord, Gentiles. Imagine if I said that card to somebody. Praise the Lord. You Gentile, you, you brood of vipers. Yeah. Nobody's coming back next week. You call us a brood of vipers. But that's a really good point because that's almost exactly what John the Baptist was. Uh, years ago, I got into a, a small car accident where I was turning right and I was looking left to see if anybody was coming, and what I didn't see was the car still in front of me to the right. So I nudged them just a little bit, just to remind them I was there. Uh, and they called the cops on me, and the cops judged me, said it was my fault, and I got a few points on my license. So one of the ways you get rid of the points on your license, if you don't want it, is you go off to driving school. If you take four hours of driving school, they will take away those points. It's like you're being justified. It's okay. And as I'm looking at these different driving schools, I found one that was called Improv Comedy Driving School. And I thought, if I have to go sit through four hours of driving school, at least it can be entertaining. At least it'll be somebody who's funny. And what I found is when I came to the driving school and I sat down, it was packed. Everybody else had the same idea I had. Let's go to this one. When we got there, it was a professional comedian uh, not well-known, but still a, a guy who knows what he's doing, teaching the class, and, and the comedy was basically all at our expense. The entire class was him picking on us for whatever it was we did that got us in the class. So we basically spent a lot of money and gave up half of our day on Saturday to go get made fun of by somebody, to be called out by him. It wasn't a warm and fuzzy feeling. And I imagine that's exactly what it was like with John the Baptist. We have this, this idea of John the Baptist, this guy who's proclaiming the coming of Christ. 
the coming of the Messiah, and we think, yes, this guy's out there in the Jordan, he's baptizing people, he's dressed funny, let's go watch this. And then we show up, and what's he do? He looks at us and he says, you brood of vipers? Who warned you? Who told you to come out here? You who think you have the end because Abraham is your great-great-grandfather? Well, what does that matter to me here and now? God could turn that stone into the great-great-grandchild of Abraham. John the Baptist was not warm and fuzzy. And therefore, he's kind of a strange figure when we think about our understanding of Advent. We're in the Advent season, and we tend to make Advent like we do everything else this time of the year. It's all about Christmas. So Advent is all about Christmas. So I, I, I love the little Advent calendars. I think they're great, where you have the little doors, and you open them up, and there's a picture. But what I've noticed is a picture will be something like two turtle doves, or a tree, or a light, or a candy cane. I've never opened the door to find an old, dirty, hairy guy wearing a camel outfit saying, you brood of vipers? <laughs> It's the 23rd day of Advent. Gentiles? Uh, we don't get that. It says it doesn't really fit in, in our brains as what we want Advent to be. We want it to be this wonderful, warm, and fuzzy time. And last week, when we talked about the first week of Advent, we talked about hope. And how uh, part of the idea of Advent is we're looking to the future. We're looking to what's coming. We're not just looking at the darkness behind us, but the light that is ahead of us. And we are finding hope in that. And that's very much a part of Advent. So last week's message was this. Find the hope. This week's message is even better and more uplifting. Are you ready? This week's, mes this week's message is this. You will be judged. Yay! I can't wait for that. Oh, Jesus, could you come sooner and judge me? In our opening pure, our, our call of the purity, the prayer we start the day with, to you who no secrets are hid, all desires known, you know what I want to do? I, want, I can't wait to get to the day where I have to talk to somebody who knows all of my deepest, darkest secrets. I'm excited. Can I get a calendar to flip pages for that one? I guarantee you, that calendar, you open the door, and there will be John the Baptist calling you a biker. <laughs> that's how that's going to work. Uh, it's, it's such a strange idea that we have of this fuzzy, excited Advent, because we think of Advent as a time of, of Christmas is coming. We think, yay, the baby child Christ is coming. And John the Baptist is out in the wilderness saying, everybody get ready, baby Jesus is coming. But here's the truth. John was only a few months older than Jesus. So what that means is when John was standing in the wilderness proclaiming the coming of Christ, he wasn't saying, everybody get excited because a cute little cuddly baby is coming. That baby was already born. He's saying, everybody know this, you will be judged because a fully mature adult who is ready to make action in this world is coming. And you need to be prepared. Repent. Turn towards God. Turn away from evil. Because this isn't a cute, cuddly child. That's what Advent is, by the way. It's, it's not this wonderful, fuzzy, happy time that we make it, which is all about uh, just warming up for Christmas. Yes, we do remember the birth of Christ. But Advent is primarily about he's coming back. And when he does, 
we're going to be judged. Have you ever in your life had somebody apologize to you for the same thing over and over again? They come up to you, they've done something wrong, they apologize, I'm sorry. And then two weeks later, they do it again, and they apologize, I'm so sorry. And a few weeks later, again and again, and eventually you get to that point where that person comes up to you and they say, I'm sorry, and you cross your arms and you lean back and you go, nope, I'm not hearing it. I'm not ready to hear that message today. Because even though you proclaim that you're sorry all the time, your behavior doesn't show me that you're sorry. Your behavior shows me it's the same thing again and again and again. I'm not ready to hear I'm sorry from you until you show me something different. That's repentance. Repentance is not saying, God, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning towards God. It is saying, God, I'm sorry. I need a difference. There's got to be something different. I can't just apologize again and again and not mean it. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's what the Sadducees were doing. I am of the seed of Abraham. I'm with that guy. What John the Baptist is saying, that's great. I'm with the one who created him. What authority do you think you have? We're coming up on Christmas. We're coming up on the time where we rejoice at the coming of Christ. And we prepare for his coming again. And I have a, a thought, a, a question in my mind, which is, if I was finding out that Jesus was coming back before Christmas, like in the next two weeks, Jesus is going to be here. Not cute little baby Jesus. But fully formed, ready to make waves Jesus. He's going to be here in two weeks. Am I going to be excited or not? Because here's the deal, I already know something that my wife is getting me for Christmas, and I'm very, very excited about it. It's a nerdy gift, but I love it, and I can't wait for it. So if Jesus comes before Christmas, I'm not getting that gift. <laughs> so maybe, maybe if I pray hard enough, Jesus, please, by all means, come. But can you do it like in January? <laughs> I want that gift. But think about it. Imagine the person who has everything they've ever wanted. They have a strong, loving family. They have a good career that is gratifying, that pays the bills, and then some. They have everything they want. They have diamonds in their Christmas boxes. Not some nerdy, odd gift, but they have the most amazing gifts in the world. Are they actually going to be looking forward to the person coming who's going to be judging them? Are they going to be waiting for that? Or are they going to say, Jesus, hold off just a little while longer. I'm good. There's a country song, uh, and I love country songs because basically every good country song can be summed up in a bumper sticker. And this one says, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to go now. Yes, Jesus, come. Take me away. Later. I don't want that right now. Now imagine the opposite. Instead of that person with the amazing family, with the amazing career, with the amazing health and job and everything they could possibly want, imagine the other person who's suffering. Imagine the person who has nobody. 
and they're stuck spending the next few weeks in the happiest time of the year by themselves. Imagine a person whose health is fighting against their ability to keep breathing. Imagine a person who is emotionally distraught, who is physically distraught, who has no money in their pocket. The dinner that they're going to on Christmas Eve is the random person who might hand them something as they're sleeping in the gutter. Imagine that person, and if they want Jesus to come before Christmas, I think they'd take him right now. Last week I talked about how he's coming and we should look forward to that. And this week I'm talking about how he's going to judge us. And I don't know if I'm ready to be judged. I don't know if I want to give up all the stuff that's important to me yet. And he's going to look at me and he's going to say, you know what? Everybody serves somebody. Who have you been serving? Is it me or is it yourself? And he'll look at everything I've done and he'll say, yeah, no. Uh-uh. But here's the good news. When John the Baptist tells us to repent, he's not telling us to do it from our own strength. He's not saying, turn around and do everything right that you're supposed to do. He's saying, turn around, make straight the way of the Lord, turn to God. God, I cannot do this. You help me. You give me the strength. You provide me the ability to look at you and say, I'm sorry and I mean it. Give me the ability to change. The ability to do what you want me to do. Because John the Baptist says, when we get judged, here's the way we're going to be measured. By the fruit that comes from us. Now here's the deal. We can cultivate that fruit. We can pick that fruit. We can do everything to help that fruit along its path. We can pluck that fruit and hand it to somebody in need of it. But we can't make it. God's the one that makes it. What John the Baptist is saying, he's not saying turn around and start making fruit. He's saying turn around and let God make fruit through you. Turn around and let Him be the one to do the work in your life. Give it to Him. And if we do that, we can't wait for the day He comes. Because even though He's going to look at me and judge me, He's also going to look at me and love me. He's going to look at me and say, you are my son, you are my creation, you are my daughter, you are the light of my life. And I'll do that work for you, if you'll let me. I, uh, I went to a Garth Brooks concert years ago uh, talking about country music. And I didn't know I was a big fan of Garth Brooks until the concert. Because, oh my gosh, he can entertain you. And I remember at one point in time, he was doing this thing that like only Garth Brooks and probably Elvis could have pulled off. He, he looked down and all the lights in the auditorium, it was the old Amway Arena, all the lights went off except for one spotlight. And he was looking down at the ground and he looked to the left and the whole audience on that side just started cheering. And then he looked down and he looked to the right 
And the whole audience just started losing it. And he said, he said, wait a minute. All I got to do is look. And he just sat there playing with the audience, just looking at him. It's kind of that same thing where like there's this, this, this rejoicing, this excitement of Christ to come. All he's got to do is the smallest little thing. And the change he can affect in our life and the excitement he can put in our life. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, even if it's before Christmas, because I want that excitement. Now, here's what was interesting is totally dark Amway Arena, Garth Brooks standing there, spotlight on him. I could not see the actual spotlight. I couldn't see it because it was up in the rafters. But I could see the beam of light traveling across the space and aiming at him. And the analogy that somebody will tell you is that John the Baptist is the person with the spotlight shining that light on Christ. But that's not true. And John the Baptist would have been the first one in his angry way to tell you that's not true. One more powerful than I is coming after me. I baptize you in water. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. What John the Baptist is saying is that that spotlight that we can't see, that's God. And that beam of light is the Spirit. And Jesus is standing there and it's aiming you at that. What John the Baptist is doing, he's not pointing the spotlight, he's drawing your attention to it. He's saying, hey, look at that. Follow that and watch where it takes you. That is repentance. That is Advent. We look for hope. And even though we will be judged, it'll be okay. Because if we're following Christ, if we're looking at His light, if we're letting Him do the work through us, we will be loved. The second Advent candle represents love. And what greater love is there than that of Christ? It's not loving to sit around and let people talk well of you all day long. Please come and celebrate me and how great I am. Bring me fancy presents. I want my diamonds. I want my Garth Brooks tickets. Bring me all this. Worship and adore how amazing I am. Or, even though I have all that, I'm willing to give it all away for you. Which one of those is love? Because that's what God does for us. That's what Advent is. That's what we're excited about. Yes, baby Jesus. But even more so, he's coming back. And I can't wait. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now think about your Christmas cards. Rejoice. O come, O come, Emmanuel. You brood of vipers.